Welcome to Movie Oubliette, the film review podcast for movies that most people have mercifully forgotten. I'm Dan. And I'm Conrad. And in each episode, we drag a forsaken film out of the Oubliette. Discuss it and judge it to decide whether it should be set free. <laughs> or whether it should be thrown back and consigned to oblivion forever. <laughs> Greetings, listeners. This is Movie Oubliette, the equator eclipsing movie review podcast with me, Dan, addicted to live synth jams down here in Melbourne, Australia. <laughs> and me, Conrad, addicted to live riff tracking in Cambridge, UK. In this podcast, we mull meticulously over fantastical cinema, horror, sci-fi, and fantasy because cool futuristic ghost cars, flimsy love stories, and revenge are what we're all about. Oh, yes. <laughs> Hello, Conrad. How are you? I'm not too bad, Dan. How are you? Are you, are you still addicted beyond January? Yeah, yes. Yeah. So I, I, I've got a taste for this whole live synth jam thing which i never knew i was gonna get into mm. because i always looked at it and thought oh, what what's the appeal but it is it is <laughs> enjoyable i mean i've never been a performer usually i've been in bands before and i have done the live performance stuff mm. and you know i grew up doing music so i always had to perform recitals and all that sort of stuff but um i've never had the appeal but i think the the appeal for me for this is it's still it's in my house and it's just, I just set up a camera and then I record it and there's no audience to feel, you know, nervous about or no lights or anything. It's it's just in my lounge uh, or yeah. my dining room. So, yeah. So expanding the arsenal since I've added a uh, reverb pedal, um, I've, I've bought a mixer um, and so, yeah. Just going to do that, I guess. That's going to be the next hobby I'll do for next, I don't know, 20 years or something. <laughs> Um, but it's well, why fun. not? It's fun. It's fun. Yeah, no, it sounds fun. Are you live streaming or are you recording stuff and then posting? I'm just recording stuff and then posting. Yeah, not okay. quite uh, at that level. Uh, I need to practice a little bit more and actually have some sort of repertoire <laughs> to perform. <laughs> yeah. But how have you been? Have you been seeing any movies or? Doing anything? Not really, no. I've just been uh, working and uh, also getting ready for tonight. We're going live again with the Retro Blasting crew and a whole bunch of other toy channels to do Ooh. some live riffing nice. using the Riff Tracks game. Yes. Which I've gotten addicted to since I bought it for Christmas for, you know, to play with family and friends. And we're just addicted to it now. So now we're live riffing on usually movies like uh -huh. on Riff Tracks, Mystery Science Theatre. But uh, tonight we're doing it all on. I've prepared a whole bunch of old toy ads for oh, them to wow. riff on. Oh, wow. So it's yeah, right up the alley. <laughs> it's right up the alley. And it's all small children, very cute. So I just cannot wait to see the appalling things that they riff over it. <laughs> oh my God. It's going to be great. Yeah, it's going to be great. I'm looking forward to that. So that'll be in the past by the time you listen to this, but it'll be on the Retro Blasting channel if you want to watch it. <laughs> yes, yes. Tune in. 
Uh, so yeah. anything in the mailbag today, Conrad? Yes, we were talking about the fact that Kronos was Guillermo del Toro's directorial debut and asking people what their other favourite directorial debuts were. Mm. And Tim O'Donnell said, although some folks don't like the film, I've always enjoyed Alien 3, David Fincher's first film. Oh, that's a hot take. Wow, yeah. I, I mm. can't get over the bad CGI in that movie. Right, I, yeah. It's just like, oh, early CGI for me just is, is a deal breaker. It just yeah. oh, it just ruins it to, for me. I, I can't, I can't. Just comparing it to Alien and Aliens with all the practical effects, it just doesn't, doesn't even compare. No, it's not great. I think a lot of it is composited rod puppet work, which is an interesting approach. Oh, okay. Is it, is it not alien. actually CGI? There are some early CGI oh, shots, okay. and yes, they are terrible. Yeah, right. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. But a lot of it is rod puppet, miniature rod puppet work, which is an interesting approach, but yeah, it sucks. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, not quite the same. Yeah. It isn't. Uh, Luis Saavedra said, Richard Kelly with Donnie Darko. Good choice. Oh, yes, yes. Still hasn't reached that sort of uh, quality since. No. Yeah. No, it's a shame, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. On Space Hunter, Dustin Rathbun said, Space Hunter is one of those childhood favourites that I never outgrew. I still enjoy it to this day and watch it once a year. And just because it popped out of my memory without warning recently, I'll drop a recommendation for a rainy day pull from the Oubliette. 1985's Baby, Secret of the Lost Legend. Wow, that doesn't sound like a film I've ever heard of. No, I know it because it's a, it's a dinosaur movie. Oh, okay. Uh, and it has a score by Jerry Goldsmith. Oh, of course. Wow. Yes. So, yeah, that's one I might like to do with Serge. Because yes. it's a dinosaur. Oh, movie. yeah. He loves those dinosaurs. Yeah, yeah. 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 I, the dinosaur genre is completely monopolized by Jurassic Park and its mm. franchise. Like, it's a shame because I would love to see more dinosaur movies. Yeah, me too. I think that would be a fun one to do, actually. Mm. But it's 80s. Oh, yes. Uh, we also heard from J.P. Bernier of Le Matos uh -huh. on Space Hunter. Hey, J.P. He just said, <laughs> hey, J.P. He just said, overdog for the win. Oh, must be a fan. <laughs> yeah, well, I think that's why he's in... Uh, oh, yeah. I think that's why Michael Kid. Ironside is in Turbo Kid. Yes, yeah. oh, of course. It's a reference. I'm sure it's a reference. And finally, of course, we heard from none other than Serge oh. of Cold Crash Pictures. Hello, Serge. Hello, Serge. And he said, Space Hunter is such a disposable film on paper. A transparent rehash of Star Wars and Mad Max, but worse than both. And I definitely rolled my eyes more than I cheered. <laughs> but by the end of the film, it sort of had me. Like, I'll never watch it again, but I'm not sorry I saw it. Conrad goes one way and Dan goes the other on the latest episode of Movie Oubliette, and I don't disagree with either of them. Mm. Yeah, uh, yeah, I, I, it was the same for me. Like, it, it was surprisingly still watchable. Yeah. As you said, it's sort of like a late night movie that if you stumbled upon it with a pizza and a beer, you probably would just carry yeah. on watching yeah, it, maybe. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, yes. As always, we love hearing from you, so please do get in touch. Yes, and of course you can email us at uh, 
Fubly at gmail.com as well. Mm. So, Dan, I guess it's time to figure out what we're going to watch this time. Yes, it's my turn today. Here mm. I go. Ugh. Oh, wow. I'm in the Arizona desert on a highway. Picturesque. Oh, it's so loud. A lot of cars. <laughs> just oh. revving. Oh. Some sort of race, I guess. Okay, I've got the movie. I've got to get out of here. Today. All right, I'm back. Oh, oh my ears are ringing a little. <laughs> yeah, I'm not surprised. And so ecologically irresponsible too. Yes. <laughs> well, uh, today I have uh, the 1986. Uh, it's kind of a kind of a horror sci-fi fantasy movie, uh, <laughs> The Wraith. Oh yes, a favourite of my brother Gary's. He kept promoting it every time we did a vote, oh, yes, a Patreon yes, vote. Yes. He kept throwing that one in, so good to finally do mm, this one. Finally, out. do this. Um, <laughs> it's directed by Mike Marvin uh, and written also by Mike Marvin, and it stars uh, Charlie Sheen and Nick Cassavetes, Sherilyn Finn, Randy Quaid, Matthew Barry, David Sherrill, Jamie Bosian, Clint Howard, and Griffin O'Neill. Oh, wow! And what's it about? Well. It's set in the middle of nowhere in Arizona. A bunch of no-good punks rule the highways, <laughs> challenging people to high-speed road car races and stealing their cars when they lose. Oh. But newcomer Jake arrives to ruffle their hydraulic fluid peaking feathers and even steals <laughs> the leader of the gang, Packard's girlfriend, Carrie. But this doesn't sound like a genre film. Just you wait. As a mysterious futuristic turbocharged black sports car appears driven by an unknown driver, who is definitely not Jake, to challenge the highway pirates in their deadly game. One by one, the gang members are killed off during the high-speed races with the mystical car resurrecting itself and driving away without a scratch. Will Packard accept and survive the final race even though his entire gang were killed by the car? (laughs) Or will there be a massive twist you saw coming 10 minutes into the film? (laughs) Will the perfectly preserved bodies from the crashes with their eyes missing ever be explained? Well... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we'll find out after the break. Wow. Okay. In the Wraith. <laughs> Sounds so bizarre. Okay, we are back to talk about The, the Wraith, your brother Gary's favourite film, it seems. <laughs> he keeps talking about it. Obviously, you must have seen this before, Conrad. I have, yes, but I don't remember it very much because although it was my brother's, one of my brother's favourites from the 80s, not so much me, but I think I've spotted one of the reasons why it's his favourite because he would always talk about this and Xanadu was the other one that he always wanted us to do on the pod. Oh, wow. And both of them start with these shiny will-o'-the-wisp comets Uh flying down from the heavens and joining up to create something. So in Xanadu, it's Olivia Newton-John on roller skates, but in this, it's a mysterious, cool-looking, futuristic car with Mm. a black-clad driver on a quest for revenge. So, you know, 
slightly different. But so basically, my brother's favorite genre of movie is Willow the Wisps come down to inspire people and have a romance right, with a killer right. soundtrack. I think right. that's what it is. <laughs> I mean, because uh, you have mentioned uh, stories of your childhood with your brother and watching Knight Rider. Oh, yeah. This movie did really remind me of Knight Rider. Yeah, I'm not surprised. Like the car looks quite similar. Yeah, the car in this, I think, has become quite iconic. And this could be the most 80s. We've said this before. This could be the most <laughs> 80s film we've ever done. It's basically just cars, explosions, mm-hmm. needlessly topless women, mm-hmm. and a soundtrack with Motley Crue and Ozzy Osbourne and Bonnie Tyler and Billy Idol. Yeah. yeah. It's just like 80s on a stick, really, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'd never seen this film before. I'd never heard of it. Uh, first time watching it. Yeah. Very, very 80s. Oh, like, yeah. it seemed like they were in some sort of board meeting and they just thought what's cool we've got cars we've got boobs we've got um burgers you know revenge we've got a killer soundtrack with like heavy rock slash 80s metal yeah so it's kind of like wow this is bound to succeed yes but it's like everything else just seems very cobbled together like I had a lot of questions. About this movie. Like, a I lot know. Of questions. I wrote on my notes. Dan's gonna have a lot of questions. <laughs> like I mean, the two obvious questions I have. First of all, the leg braces disappearing from the crashes. Like what? What, what was going on there? Yeah, it's really not explained. So the wraith himself is the driver of this mysterious car, and it, he seems to be sort of taking his revenge out on every single member of this gang one at a time. Mm. He's dressed up like Clint Eastwood in Firefox when he's piloting that top secret jet. Okay, uh, it's got a helmet and a body hugging leathery thing, and then the, he's got this outer scaffolding of metal and pipes mm. that's completely unexplained. It's like he's a robot or something. And every time he kills someone, a bit falls off, apparently, and shimmers and disappears. Yeah. Why? I don't know. I just didn't understand that. Uh, The other question I have is, uh, every time a gang member is killed in this fiery explosion. So, I mean, they're killed virtually the same way every time as well. So they get angry at this uh, mysterious driver, have a race, because this gang, they go around just finding other people with sports cars challenging them to a race and then stealing their car when they lose. Yeah. So they challenge this mysterious, like, futuristic car and the driver. And every single time the car drives ahead, waits around the corner, the gang member drives straight into the car, collides, fire explosion, they die. And their bodies are completely preserved, except they have no eyes. Yes. And that is never explained. Nope. Don't know why that happens. (laughs) No, they appear in the smouldering wreckage, naked as the day they were born, pale and eyeless. And it's not explained. (laughs) It just seems weirdly fetishistic. Mm. I'm not sure what the point of it is at all. But it doesn't happen to all his victims. Like, there are two members of the gang... They're my favourite characters in the movie, actually. Skank and Gutterboy, played by David Sherrill and Jamie Bosian, Mm. who do a wonderful duo commentary track on the Vestron remastered Blu-ray of The Wraith. Oh, right. Wow. They're great characters. 
They die when the Wraith drives his car into their like yes. garage where the gang hangs out. Yeah. And it just explodes in probably the largest explosion that's ever Huge. happened in Arizona. <laughs> <laughs> it's just ridiculous. Like the camera is shaking like crazy. Mm, mm. Clint Howard's wig nearly blows off. It's huge, this explosion. And they are not found naked in the smouldering aftermath. So it's purely when he races people that this happens, mm. which is curious. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I, I guess the, even the rules of the Wraith as well. So spoilers here, but you, you can kind of figure it out in the first like quarter of the movie. The Wraith is this Jake character yeah. who is a, so a newcomer to this town, but he's also Jamie, which is... The lead female character, Carrie, her boyfriend that had died, mm. had been killed, and she doesn't know why or who killed him. <laughs> I, I would think it was pretty obvious who killed him. No, it's pretty weird. So Jamie, the dead guy who dies before the film starts, his brother, whose name is Billy, I think, yeah, played by Matthew Barry, he says at some point three quarters of the way through the movie that Kerry was found wrapped in a Navajo blanket with a concussion yeah. on the road yeah. somewhere with no memory of what happened to her boyfriend. Oh, really? Oh, I missed that line. Yeah. Yeah, but it's still confusing because later on she confronts the big bad, so the leader of the gang, Packard, mm. who is the one that knifed and murdered her boyfriend yeah. while they were having sex, which is like... <laughs> brutal scene oh, yeah which we see in these red tinged flashbacks which is pretty awful mm. and she's now his sort of enforced love interest he just keeps abducting her and threatening her with a knife and telling her that they're perfect together mm. it's a toxic relationship oh, from the yeah, get-go yeah. yeah it's not a relationship it's it's literally abduction <laughs> yes it's just a she's mugging into it. yeah <laughs> <laughs> they've never had sex yeah it's a non-relationship he's just extremely possessive mm. and murdered her boyfriend and she does not remember it although she does confront him later on and say you did it didn't you and he admits it so i guess she does know i don't know it's not clear <laughs> yeah it's very unclear and jamie is resurrected as jake yes who is this newcomer to this town charlie sheen yes. yeah played by charlie sheen wearing double denim of course or tiny tiny white shorts <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen many Charlie Sheen movies, to be honest. No? Like, I mean, I've seen him in like TV shows like uh, Two and a Half Men, mm. uh, which is atrocious, and um, also Spin City when he replaced um, Michael J. Fox. Right. Um, but I, I think I, the only movie I've actually seen him in is The Arrival, which is that alien sort of invasion movie. Oh, yeah. I thought that might be an oubliette choice at some point. I would one. love to cover that film. I would love... I haven't seen it since I was, like, in my early 20s. And I, I think I watched it late one night on TV. Like really? It was just on. I've never seen it. <laughs> it's strange. It's, it's, it's a really interesting film. But that's, like, the only film I, I've seen, Charlie. I haven't seen Hot Shots. I haven't seen Young Guns. Oh. I haven't seen Platoon or Wall Street or Red Dawn. None of these movies. I've only seen them in The Arrival and obviously uh, <laughs> his notoriety in more recent years. So, um, yeah. So I knew him sort of from his early 90s peak period. So when he was with Clint Eastwood in The Rookie and Navy right. Seals with Michael Bean and then Hot Shots movies and Loaded Weapon 
and uh-huh, uh-huh. terminal velocity and all that kind of stuff. So I saw him then, and then, of course, he was big on TV, and now I don't think he has a career. Well, because you know, yeah, he's winning, right? Yeah, yeah. I th- I thought it like it was so strange though, because he's like essentially the the hero of this film, mm. but you never see him. No, I think they only had him for one day of shooting, and he's in like none of the film. <laughs> like, he doesn't. He appears kind of at the start, and then you don't see him for like forty minutes. No, and it's just so bizarre. I timed it. He has a total screen time of about sixteen minutes, oh. if you exclude appearances as the wraith because i'm not sure it's ever going to be him driving that car oh it's never it's not is it i mean in the movie (laughs) like as an audience member you're not supposed to know that he's a wraith do you think so (laughs) well i mean it's really obvious i guess especially when when they're at that water hole and he's obviously got the same stab wounds as in the flashback yeah very obvious but apart from that i don't think you're supposed to know who he is. Yeah. And I don't know how the other characters know who he is at the end. No, I know. Because, I it's mean, bad. we never get to see Jamie as a character. Like, there's that one murder scene flashback, and that's it. Mm. Like, we have no idea who Jamie is. I guess exactly the same as Jake, just looks different. Yeah. I don't know. Like, I, I almost felt like there needed to be more backstory into Jamie and seeing Jamie and also seeing Jamie and um, Carrie, their relationship, and why that was important. Because she falls for Jake way too quickly. Yeah. I think she talks to him, like, three times, and then suddenly... I'm in love with you. Like, what? (laughs) Yeah, my favorite part of their relationship is where they're in a hot spring together and you suddenly get this red-tinged flashback of murder again. Yeah. But I'm not sure. It's like a free-floating flashback. I don't know who's having it. But immediately afterwards... Jake says, I love you. And it's like, you floated alongside her on one of those like inflatable mattresses for like a minute and a half. (laughs) What are you talking about? It's crazy. It's crazy. And this is the most unromantic thing ever. I'm going to think about being stabbed to death and then just shout, I love you. Yeah. Or she's thinking about it. It's the most inopportune time to say it, but she just presents her boobs and starts kissing him anyway. So obviously not. I don't know. It's the most unconvincing romance. Mm, yes mm. some backstory for her and some backstory for billy because i think there could have been something really sweet with the brother who's been left behind yeah that could have been really touching and the guy really goes for it at the end when he realizes that Mm. charlie sheen's his brother but it's kind of funny i know he's really acting his heart out yeah 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 (laughs) I yeah. felt bad for there's, it. There's no sort of connective <laughs> tissue between like the characters realizing, oh, this is actually Jamie. Because for us as audience members, we have no idea of their past connection whatsoever. No. Like there's no touching scenes in the past where the brother helps out the other brother. Like it just seems like I don't feel any emotion, even though there's emotional acting coming from these actors from these characters which is a shame because there's ripe stuff in there for you to draw from yeah but it's not capitalized upon i think on paper this film is really interesting it's actually quite original i guess i mean it's a you know revenge movie but it's like sci-fi but fantasy 
at the same time. Like he's resurrected, but he's not resurrected as just a normal person. He's resurrected as this weird futuristic motorcycle helmet wearing future <laughs> shotgun wielding guy, like all black with these weird arm and leg braces. And he's in this futuristic car that doesn't exist. That's uh, far too like, you know, science fiction. Like it, it's such a strange meld of two genres. Yeah, he's resurrected as Auto Man. It's not original overall in its premise because the first thing I thought of when I watched it this time was High Plains Drifter, the 1973 Western from Clint Eastwood. Yeah, that was one of the main influences. Yeah, the director actually mentions it. So I thought, oh, okay, I'm not imagining it. Yeah. Because both that and Pale Rider, a movie that Clint made in 1985, a year before oh, right. this one, okay. both pretty much have the same premise, which is man with no name rides into town mm. bearing all of the scars of somebody that everybody lynched <laughs> like, right. in their past and they all feel guilty about it and slowly gets revenge on all the people who killed him beforehand and then rides off into the heat haze of the horizon at the end of it which is so this is kind of a, a future sci-fi version mm. of high plains drifter i guess yeah yeah it's it's that sort of classic like just take a Western premise and put it in sci-fi, except this isn't really sci-fi. It's kind of pseudo-sci-fi, more fantasy. Yeah. The, you know, all that sort of technology is never really explained. No. <sighs> it just works. The time limit that he talks about as well, like, I'm not here for very long. It's like, when was that explained? I missed that. How long are you even here? Like, I don't know. It's just, there's a lot, a lot of things at the end that they sort of mentioned that I just like, did we know this? I, d I didn't know that. I think you're right. I mean, it's like um, the fact that at the end, he seems to be able to ride off on his, because he has a motorbike as Jake. Yes. And he's able to just ride off into the, not the sunset, but the, the moonlight, although yeah. the moon is bloody huge. <laughs> it's like, huge. oh my God, <laughs> this is like moonfall. Run. <laughs> this is bad. Yeah. Uh, yeah but, so he's alive. So he's not a ghost like in High Plains Drifter and Pale Rider. He's reincarnated and despite being able to be blown up in his car like 500 times, he's now able to live with his girlfriend again. Yeah. But he's not going to stay with his brother. He's just going to ride off after revealing that he's his brother mm, and leave him mm. sobbing by the burger bar yeah. with a new car. Yeah. I was confused. Yeah, I, I kind of wanted, because it, it was very sort of middle of the road in terms of like, are we sci-fi or are we fantasy slash horror? Yeah. Like, I feel like it could have leaned either way. Like, if they went more sci-fi, just have him covered in lights. Yeah. And having shoot lasers, you know, just go full on sci-fi. Um, or go the other route and make it more horror. So have them actually really scary, like Ghost Rider scary, like Flaming Skull scary and like, yeah. you know, decomposing. That sort of thing. That would have been interesting. Because also you don't really see any gore in this movie. No. Like the crashes are very explosive, but there's no body parts flying or anything. No, it's not gruesome like that. I mean, even the scene where, again, and I don't understand this, why does he go into their garage and shoot up everything and then drive off again? Yeah, and why do they just let it happen yeah. as well? Like Packard's just standing there going, ooh, <laughs> please don't. <laughs> but he's just not doing anything. He's not stopping them. Like it's obvious that this drifter guy is not actually 
there to shoot at the people. He's mm. just shooting out their cars. So wouldn't you, you know, stop him shooting the cars? I don't know. I don't know. With this weird LED-laden gun that makes sort of laser noises, but it's not a laser. But it's just a shotgun? Yeah, yeah it's, it's strange. <laughs> like, again, another just unexplained, is this purely just like, it looks cool? Is this it? Because a lot of the movie, it just seemed like, oh, this looks cool, but why would this logically ever happen? Mm. Why would they settle any argument or dispute with just like, let's race a car? Like, especially at the end, when he's killed all of his gang members, yep. and he's holding a shotgun, but no, he goes, oh, let's do one more race. <laughs> like, <laughs> why? why are you doing this? Shouldn't you just like shoot the guy? <laughs> <laughs> it would seem sensible, wouldn't it, really, at yeah, this point? I just didn't understand. Like, it was the equivalent of, you know, those dance movies, like Step Up and stuff, when they have a disagreement, they just do a dance-off. <laughs> it's just like, yeah, let's just do a, a car race again. Like, this will sort it out. It is, I guess, a tradition of teenage masculinity that scores or vendettas or rivalry are settled through a car race. I mean, I'm thinking of Rebel Without a Cause from the 60s yeah. with James Dean. But how many car races did that movie have? Well, not as many as this, this yeah. And <laughs> also, you've got Natalie Wood starting them rather than Clint Howard with razor head hair, which... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah, it's, it is basically drawing on that tradition. It's a great location, Arizona. It, it looks amazing throughout the whole movie. Yeah, the cars look great. Really cool cars. Yeah. Um, and especially the car. Like, it looks futuristic now. Like, it's amazing. Yeah, the car is quite iconic. So it's a Dodge M4S Turbo Interceptor. It's kind of a prototype car. It wasn't mass-produced. It was made as a pace car for races. What's a pace car? What, what is that? So what it does is it sets the maximum speed for the cars on the track. Usually when there's been an accident or something like that, the pace car oh, will come out okay. and say, okay, oh. everybody can sort of hang behind me for a while. This is the maximum right, speed. Right, right, right. Yeah, I think okay. that's what it is, but I don't, I've never watched a race in my life. So. Yeah, okay. Seems like a really nice car to have as a pace car. Wouldn't you just have like some shitty, like whatever? Yeah, Ford Fiesta or something. No, it's, yeah, <laughs> yeah it's quite the car. I mean, 0 to 60 in four seconds or something like that. Oof. I mean, wow. my electric car does it in three, but never mind. Okay. Um, <laughs> it's the 80s, okay? <laughs> it's the 80s, and also my car tops out at about 80 anyway. So, yeah, it's got torque, but mm, not much else. Um, yeah, they built six prop cars for this movie. There were two stunt cars that they did all the driving around in. The main one only ever showed up when it was just there to look beautiful. Hmm. They never raced it for obvious reasons. Yeah, I heard the insurance was like astronomical. Oh, God, like, yeah. It was like, and it was like worth 11 million or something like that. Yeah, it really was a, a one of a kind. Yeah. And they built four dummy cars that were basically just shells with bits in that they could explode. Uh, you can tell when there are stunt cars, though. You can. Because it obviously looks like a shell on top of another car. Oh, yeah. <laughs> You're yeah. like, I think there's one shot where you can see through the front and you can tell there's no car behind it because the shell is bigger than the actual stunt car that's inside or something <laughs> yeah i know it's quite a beautiful thing to look at yeah oh it's stunning 
Like it's stunning. It really steals the show every time it appears. Yeah. What I quite like is the color of it is kind of strange, especially on the remastered Blu-ray. Ah, yes. Sort of looks like it's black, but then in other lights you can see sort of burgundy shining through. Apparently it's a base paint of black that's been layered with layer after layer of pearlescent paint. So it comes out as sort of root beer brown in certain lights. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's a thing of great beauty, it has to be said. Yes. And right in that vein of mid-80s like Night Rider style, I think, yeah. for the future. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it even has the doors that open like, you know, the DeLorean. Oh, yeah, the gullwing yeah. doors. Yeah, yeah. The, yeah they're, they're completely yeah. impractical. Oh, 100%. Like, if you parked the car, you wouldn't be able to get out. <laughs> no, no, exactly. Or you, you'd open it and you'd just, it would just get swiped by incoming traffic, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Going back to the characters again. So it's got Sherilyn Finn. Mm. So obviously most famous from Twin Peaks as Audrey Horn. Uh, I didn't know also that she was in a couple of TV shows I've watched. Gilmore Girls. Ah. She was in that. Also in a failed Birds of Prey TV series that came out in 2002. Trying to do the DC female characters. She played Harley Quinn. Did she? That apparently. Wow. Yeah. But that show... uh, tanked very quickly (laughs) also early 2000s so i can't imagine the the special effects would have looked any good no it Um, was not a golden age for television let's be honest no no (laughs) no uh but i thought i thought she was great she was very alluring but apparently the director said that she was his last choice oh so he said that he wanted someone like melora hart or leslie hope Oh. Who I, I'm not even, I don't even know those actresses. No. Um, and she was her last choice, but the studio really liked her. Um, right. His reason for her being his last choice was he said that she couldn't act, which is, <laughs> oh, I don't know. I thought she had a, a very good presence in this film. I thought she did. I mean, she isn't given an awful lot to work with, really. She just no, no. shows up in a series of ridiculous outfits yeah. and strips her clothes off. And that's, that's pretty and much just, it. Yeah. Falls for the first thing that walks her way um yeah like she almost falls into the the sexy lamp test have you heard about this like it's kind of like the what's it called the bechdel yeah bechdel test yeah but the sexy lamp test is is it possible that the character could just be replaced by a sexy lamp and it would work (laughs) and she almost fits that test except she does stand up to packard at one point so she's not like completely useless I like that test. That's great. <laughs> yeah. It's definitely not going to win the Bechdel test because I think she is the only woman in the movie. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. I never see her speaking to another one. No. Much less having a conversation that doesn't include men. Well, there are, I don't think there are many speaking roles, but at the diner, the burger joint with the roller skate waitresses, um, there are there are some oh, other yes. female characters that... I don't think have any speaking roles. Yeah. I mean, talking about the characters and and sort of the imbalance of like the characters as well, because yeah, Charlie Sheen's supposed to be a hero. He's barely in it. Yeah. Uh, 
Sherilyn Finn as Carrie, she's not really a character. No. Um, so the main characters are kind of the bad guys. Yeah. Like you, you follow Packard and and Gutterboy and Skank the most. They probably have the most screen time. Yeah, and it's kind of their movie. I'm not sad about it because they're great. They are. They're playing these really weird tweaker characters that have hopped up on goodness knows what combination of chemicals. Yeah, hydraulic fluid, WD forty. <laughs> Like anything they can find. <laughs> yeah, they're ingesting or snorting anything and as a result have these horrible nervous conditions where they're sort of jerking around spasmodically all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and Skank has this amazing ever-changing look to him that's sort of very punky, early 80s punky. Yes, yes, yes. Different yes. coloured mohawks, different coloured face makeup. It was all down to David Sherrill. He would just like change it every day. Sometimes he's like all frost tipped and he's got these sort of mm, yeah, blue marks near his eyes. All inspired by Adamant, apparently. So um oh, good on him. Interesting, <laughs> interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I love the the characters. I mean, they were hilarious as yeah. well. Just hilarious. And yeah, th- they had the most screen time. I quite liked um Nick Casavetes as Packard. As the big bad guy. I mean, obviously very cheesy. You know, he's licking his bleeding hand at one point because that's what bad guys do. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and he's got a switchblade because that's that's a bad guy thing. Yeah. Um, but he is like, you know, menacing. <laughs> yeah, he's a presence. I-, I had questions about the wardrobe of the punks. It's like they just had like a big warehouse of random clothes and just told the actors to go to town. Yeah. Because it didn't make a lot of sense. <laughs> uh, at all. I mean, uh, we can get into it more in the movies, but yeah, I don't think punks really dress like that. Maybe not, no. You're right in your guess, though, on the commentary track. David Sherrill does say that the costume designer would go out and select all of these great pieces, and then they were just, like, grabbing things out of a bin. Like, oh yeah, I want to oh, wear really? the waistcoat. <laughs> yeah, so they literally okay. were just sort of making things up as they went along. Wow. Yeah, it really looked made up. It didn't look like they were from the same gang at all. <laughs> But, I mean, they were a colourful bunch of characters and Nick Cassavetes did provide a great heavy around which they could all Mm. orbit. Yes. I quite like uh, Clint Howard, the ever-reliable Clint, brother of Ron, Mm. the famous director, who's been acting since he was like three or something in Gentle Ben on TV. Right. He's got that very distinctive gap in between his front teeth. He was losing his hair at the age of 16, so here he's wearing this ridiculous wig. Oh, was it a wig? It's a wig, yeah. (laughs) But apparently right from the start, it's in the script even that it was going to be an eraser head. Like, it's just this mass of sort of curly hair just pointed straight up. Mm. And it's just this bundle of nervous energy throughout. I think he's the mechanic for the gang. Yeah, yeah, Sets off all the races. And he's the one that actually comes out with the word, the wraith. He's the one that says, Mm. this guy is a ghost. He does. So he's probably the sharpest tool <laughs> in the box. Yeah, he. I mean, he survives. So yeah, he does. He, yeah, he gets out. Yeah, yeah. Good on him. <laughs> yeah, but he, yeah, his look. Yeah, very razor head, like the geek of the gang as well. Like, yeah. um, he just doesn't seem to fit. But um, yeah, interesting assortment of characters. It is. Yeah, it's always lively, always interesting. Yeah. Also, it's interesting to note that a bunch of either 
offspring or brothers of other famous people. So, right. Um, <laughs> you've got, oh, yeah, Clint Howard being the brother of Ron Howard. You've got Randy Quaid being the brother of Dennis Quaid, mm. uh, Charlie Sheen being the son of Martin Sheen. And mm. also, lastly, Nick Cassavetes being the son of John Cassavetes, which I admit that I was confused. I thought I knew Nick Cassavetes, but I was thinking of his dad. Yes. I have seen some of his films. Very famous as a writer, I think, now. Yeah, I mean, I also noted that um, Matthew Barry, the, who played Billy the brother, mm. uh, is now a renowned casting director. Oh, okay. Sort after in the casting directing. Yeah, that's a talented bunch of people in very early roles in some cases. Yeah, yeah. Now it's time for random trivia. Okay, Dan, what fascinating nugget of trivia did you pull from the smouldering wreck of a car on a highway today? Right. So uh, that burger joint that uh, we have mentioned. Um, that sort of drive-in burger joint, that, that's not a thing that exists anymore, right? That doesn't exist. Where people uh-huh. used to just hang out in their cars outside of <laughs> fast food yeah. restaurants. Hot spot. Yeah. yeah, while waitresses on roller skates delivered food. Um, yeah. Anyway, that burger joint wasn't actually a burger joint. It was, an, uh, it was actually a beauty parlour that they'd converted oh. to uh, beyond recognition to look like this burger joint. And apparently the director has said that a a number of producers have asked him, oh, where's this Where's this burger place, this diner? And he's like, it's, it's not a diner. <laughs> it doesn't even look like that. Yeah. <laughs> it's not real, no. Yeah. There's a lovely documentary on the Blu-ray where this enterprising guy, bless him, is trying to locate all of the shooting locations from the film now and doing like a then and now comparison. And yeah, he, he goes to the place where the burger bar was, yeah. but there's nothing there yeah. anymore. It's just gone. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, it's, it looks so iconic, though, in the film. It does, yeah. Okay, and that's our trivia. Yes. The budget of this film, very tiny. Apparently, they were budgeted for $5 million, but it only cost $2.9. Oh, wow. Which is pretty impressive, considering the stunt work for the cars. I have to admit, the car racing itself kind of boring like <laughs> nothing really happened apart from the collisions yeah but yeah there's some really impressive car flipping and car collisions in this movie and apparently one of the crew did die um in one of the yeah the collisions i think one of the the camera crew bruce ingram died when uh one of the camera cars overturned yeah so yeah dangerous dangerous film yeah, it's kind of one of those films that could only be made in the 80s. I, I mean, I guess it's a, a precursor to Fast and Furious. There's a whole series of movies. I have not seen a single one of them. Yeah, I 100% thought this was like Fast and Furious with a ghost car. Right, yeah. <laughs> like 100% was pretty much the same plot. Yeah, by comparison, it's probably quite tame in terms of the choreography and what they do, Mm. but that's largely because this is entirely practical. So they're doing things that you would never do now, like massive petrol-fueled explosions just throwing cars into protected wildlife, (laughs) um, which would just never happen now. And yes, unfortunately, quite dangerous for the crew as well, because Mm. uh, yeah, I think on the making of, they talked about seeing this heart-stopping moment where one of the camera cars go over 
over the barrier wow. and flip over and people being thrown everywhere and unfortunately one of Jeez. them one of there's lots of serious injuries and one person lost his life as a result the film's dedicated to his memory it kind of feels like it casts a shadow over it and the director said that it affected his career too mm. he wasn't even there right he right. couldn't get a job for three years directing anything and he was even hired he had, had things that he was doing next uh-huh. and he was dropped from them because wow. you know somebody would say well he's the guy that you know somebody died on his last set and that was kind of the end of it which yeah seems a bit unfair for him because he wasn't participating in any way on that day yeah true i mean it's different to you know more recent events with um alec baldwin well i mean yeah the guy that pulled the trigger yeah exactly so literally he's gonna be culpable in some way Mm. yeah so it's just sad and i think it overshadowed the film somewhat i mean the the release it wasn't massively successful it opened on the 21st of november 1986 in nearly 600 theaters Mm. apparently with a cheap print that was made in uh some factory in canada somewhere with muffled sound because the producers were always trying to go faster and do it cheaper right so it was a bit of a struggle um so yeah not great release prints it debuted at number nine in the US box office behind Crocodile Dundee, <laughs> uh, Star Trek for An American Tale, Song of the South being re-released by Disney for its 40th anniversary. Okay. <laughs> That's not right. going to happen again. Yeah. Firewalker, some Chuck Norris movie, The Color okay. of Money, Soul Man, which is the one where C. Thomas Howell dons blackface to go to college wow. on a scholarship that's meant for black people. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Times have changed. That's not going to happen again either. Wow. Uh, Peggy Sue got married at number eight and then The Wraith at nine. Okay. And it garnered 3.5 million in total at the box office before it mm. vanished quite quickly, it has to be said. Wow. It didn't really okay. have legs. Yeah, right, right. Considering its budget, it's pretty amazing how what they achieved. And apparently even the car scenes, uh, they only took eight days yeah. of shooting. It's amazing, it's- really. Yeah, that's efficiency. And you can tell, I mean, the the director said he was always being pushed to go faster by the producers because they wanted to just do it quick and cheap and dirty. Mm. But you can tell that sometimes he's going for a particular look. There's a lot of great shots of the Wraith where he's backlit by God rays with (laughs) lots of smoke. And there's even a shot of the burger bar at night where they've obviously fogged up the background and backlit it in blue. Mm. You know, some of the shots look really, really nice. They do, yeah. And then some of it, just looks a bit rushed like the car scenes a lot of the sort of pov shots of the road they're obviously under cranked yeah you know the film is sped up but it's sped up to a point where it's just not realistic it's not just a little bit fast it's just like completely comically yeah buster keaton movie fast and it's not believable at all yeah yeah like super shaky before Mm. like shaky cam was even a thing yeah yeah there was i guess intent but not quite sort of explored properly even the point of view of the wraith like when he's like creeping around you hear him breathing and there's that sort of you know halloween pov like camera work with it's kind of like shaking around and but they don't really use that that much no you don't really see him creeping around that much either so I don't know. No, it's just the garage, I think, you get those POV mm, shots. That's and right, then that's other right. times the car just appears, usually when either his brother or Kerry are under threat in some way, the car would just appear. Yeah, yeah. And Jake will be nowhere to be seen. Mm, so, yeah. So. 
obvious. <laughs> and there's that scene where yeah. um, where the Eraserhead guy puts the radio interceptor or something into the hood of the car that's never like what was that for like what apparently it's an electronic device to cut the electrical systems in the car so that it stalls okay so that the car can't drive away if it loses the race or something yeah yeah but they never like arm it or anything they never they never use it he puts it in and you see the impressive engine and then that's it yeah i thought it was going to come back for whatever reason but no no there's no point to it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, well, I mean, soundtrack. You've got to talk about the soundtrack. The most 80s soundtrack. Because <laughs> <laughs> it flips from two styles of music, uh, primarily. You've got heavy rock slash 80s metal. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you've got this really raucous, percussive synth stuff. Yes. is one or the other. And obviously... Lots of songs in the soundtrack to sell albums. Yeah. Uh, I think it's one of the things that first comes up in the credits as well. Yeah. Very 80s. Yeah. There's 15 songs on the soundtrack. Yeah. (laughs) There's barely a moment without a song. They do use score a lot of the time. Like the first race is scored Mm -hmm. by J. Peter Robinson and Michael Honig, who had worked together on other soundtracks like The Gate is a favourite of mine that they worked on. And they're another team where they bought a synclavier or synclavier. I'm never sure how you're supposed to say it. Okay. So one of the early sampling keyboards yeah, that cost yeah. the same as a house, but you would buy it as an investment in the early 80s when there was a shift towards video and fast releasing films and trying to keep the costs down. Mm. Having these synthesizer scores was cheaper than having an orchestra. Oh. Because like those artists are expensive. Like even the, I think they say that even on Friday the Thirteenth, the music budget was a quarter of a million, whereas they could deliver a score much more mm, cost effectively. Mm-hmm. So they're going for that really percussive, arpeggiated '80s synth sound, using lots of sort of sampled mm. metallic sounds on there for the cars. I have to say, I thought it was quite effective. I quite liked it. I didn't mind the synth stuff. Yeah, mm. I mean, all the '80s hair metal stuff was super cheesy. <laughs> Uh, like really cheesy yeah but yeah i didn't mind the synth stuff i wish there was more sort of atmospheric synth stuff for some of the other less actiony moments but yeah um, that's true no to like jam that soundtrack down our throat oh yeah here's another rock track uh get you pumped up barely a moment on the soundtrack where something wasn't coming up so you got tim fian with where's the fire mm-hmm. ozzy osbourne with yes uh loser i'm a secret loser um <laughs> and uh ian hunter motley crew robert palmer's addicted to love and billy idol's rebel yell crop up in there which were already mm-hmm. hits at that point and uh, of course bonnie tyler comes in with a song with the word heart in it of course uh, because that's all she does i think <laughs> <laughs> over the love scene yeah yeah so, lots yeah. of tracks it's a soundtrack album uh, that was released on the Scotty Brothers label, which was a label that ran from 74 until 97. It became defunct after a lot of acquisitions, most famous for launching the career of Weird Al Yankovic. Oh, wow. Okay. But yeah, so I don't know. It was a period where getting a, a soundtrack album was sort of half the reason for doing the movie almost yeah yeah so important that the music supervisor played a really big role on just jamming all of these songs in mm. wherever oh yeah 100 percent. yeah i mean 80s and 90s was uh, all about that 
selling that soundtrack. Yeah, really An was. Extra bit of cash that a movie could make, you know. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Coming to you live from the Movie Oubliette Theatre, it's the prestigious Movie Awards. Okay, it's a Movie Awards. It's where we present our favourite high-octane parts of the film in a number <laughs> of immortal car-resurrecting categories. Best quote. So my favourite quote comes from Randy Quaid, who we haven't talked about a lot. He is very funny in the movie. He's the uh, local sheriff who's determined to get to the bottom yes. of all of these car-related yeah. Loomis. killings. I can't not Loomis. think about Halloween when any character is it's named got Loomis. To be. <laughs> it's got to be a reference to Halloween, yes, isn't it? Yes, yes. But he's, he's very funny. And uh, he comes out with this quote when he's talking to Skank and Gutterboy. And he says, when you two craterheads get finished mining for nose gold <laughs> and you get a relapse of memory, you let me know, huh? Yeah. Oh, I, I, fi- I found Loomis's lines the best, the funniest. Like yeah, his kind of no shit, like I'm just going to say whatever I want to anyone is amazing, amazing. Uh, that was also one of the quotes I, I wrote down. But there's another one when he first arrives at this sort of plane yard and he's talking to um, the dad, like the character Red. And then he just says... This is a real strange place you got here. Really unique in its depressing qualities. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's not something you expect to come out of this small town yeah, sheriff yeah, at yeah. all. Yeah. <laughs> Best hair or costume? Ooh, there's lots to pick from. Oh, isn't there just... <laughs> it's a veritable feast of 80s fashion <laughs> to choose from. What did you go for? Well, I mean, I had to go for one of the punks, uh, but just the okay. oddest choice of like how is this a punk um so it, i think it's the character minty uh so he's wearing a red college jacket uh or jersey uh americans would say uh, a white knit vest for some reason and at one point he's wearing um i think he's wearing uh, like spectacles and like one of those green plastic accounting visors that you'd see like right. Lawyers or accountants wear. I don't. What, what? What? What is this? What is this attire for a punk? Yeah, it's very peculiar. It sort of looks like fancy dress, but I don't know. It's got that sort of eighties. Who cares? Let's just throw it all on and yeah, see what happens. That's true. I guess. Sort of approach to it. I, I quite like. Yeah. So this bunch of punks never existed, but this is what we're going with. Yeah. How about you? What's your pick? I I picked poor Sherilyn Fenn, who sports some wonderful outfits in this movie, but I particularly like the one that we see when she first arrives as Kerry. She leaves her house in a pink floral shirt dress. Mm, that's, that's right. It's basically just a long shirt with a belt across it, so it's, it's the most revealing thing imaginable. Mm. Uh, white cowboy boots and a white belt that appears to have three buckles on it. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. And Sherilyn Fenn has arrived. Yes. <laughs> Most 80s moment. Uh, obvious choice would be the soundtrack. Um, but I also mm. have to mention the 80s was all about futuristic cool cars. So you've got, yes, yes. we've mentioned Knight Rider, Back to the Future, The Last Starfighter as well. Like these futuristic yes. slick um impossibly dimensioned cars was uh, all the rage in the 80s it was what i find fascinating about it is it seems to have defined the way that we think 
modern cars should look now. Like you look at a lot of Teslas and a lot of electric cars that are rolling off the forecourts now, and they look very much like this vision of the future that we had in the eighties. Yeah, 80s. that's true. <laughs> yeah, except with less yeah. uh, sort of straight lines. Like it was very kind of、mm. boxy in the eighties, whereas now everything's curved. Yeah. Which I guess was just the limitations of what yeah, you could actually make. Yeah, that's true. Back at the time. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I had exactly the same thing, but I would also add cars going over cliffs in a ball of flame. Ah, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Probably the most eighties thing about this film, and something that you would just not do now. It's so irresponsible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Favorite scene. Ah,、uh, I, I just I wrote just any line. Uh, with Loomis, like every single line he he、um, he utters is amazing. <laughs> Just my favorite. Yeah, my favorite scene is the scene between Loomis and Skank and Gutterboy in the、uh, graveyard of airplanes. Ah, yes, yes, yes. Um, and it's just the two of them are hilarious with all their twitching <laughs> and、yeah. nervous idiocy, but sometimes they're disarmingly honest and straightforward. Like the time when Loomis says, "I can call you Skank, can't I?" and Skank replies, "Yeah, unless you like Maurice better." Yeah. So that's obviously his real name is Maurice. But but Packard actually. But it actually, just comes up with it. Packard actually refers to him as Maurice later on in, in one of the scenes. He does.、Yeah. So, yeah, earnestly, yeah. like not derogatively.、Mm. Yeah, it's really weird for this punk with this sort of image、mm. to to maintain. Would just disarmingly say, "Yeah, unless you like Maurice better." Yeah, yeah, just, right. I don't know, and everybody laughs. I just thought it's such a heartwarming little moment. I loved it. Mm, mm, yeah, <laughs> most cliche moment. You've mentioned it before, but the. Backlit, blue backlit sci-fi shots. Yes. There's one in particular when、uh, the wraith enters their workshop, and it's you have the external、um, shot, and it's it's not dark yet. It's 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 like early、yeah. evening or something. But when he enters, it's obviously midnight. <laughs> Somehow, just fast forward <laughs>、yeah. seven hours. Um, because you've got to have that, you know, blue backlit lighting. I think he brings it with him. I think he has like a black sheet and like <laughs> yeah, a fog machine, spotlights, yeah, and a spotlight, <laughs> and that's why it's taking so long for him to come in. It's setting all of this shit up outside, yeah, right, and then kicks the door open. My cliche: anything in a car movie where the car drives through cardboard boxes in an alleyway. Ah, yes, 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 yeah. You just need a cart with like fresh fruit on it, and it'll be perfect. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But especially in a movie that's trying to keep the budget down, it's always cardboard boxes,、yeah. not anything that might actually yeah, damage the car. Yeah, that's true. Oh, of course. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's quite a staple of TV shows like Knight Rider.、Uh, the number of times Kit must have driven through cardboard boxes, <laughs> unbelievable. Best special effect: the explosion. In the in the workshop, I mean, it's just so, it's quite sudden as well. You don't the car is <laughs> driving very fast and then just crash zoom into Skank and Gutter Boy and va boom like the biggest thing you've ever seen and and you can see the the workshop or garage just like obliterate. It's it's amazing to watch and then massive、yeah. fireball、uh, just kind of rises from it. It's it's incredible to see. Yeah, it sort of reminds me. Do you remember the sender when that cabin oh, went yes, up at, at the, the end? end. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> wow, and that again. I think that was full scale, wasn't it? So、whew. yeah,、oh. <laughs> quite an explosion.、Incredible. 
Um, I quite liked a lot of the effects, like the opening sequence with the, all of the sort of will-o'-the-wisp lights flying mm, through the canyons right. and between the cacti and all the interactive lights. It wasn't just an optical. They actually had interactive light on the miniatures yeah, and yeah, stuff. Right. I really liked all that stuff. But my absolute favorite is something fairly simple but so effective, which was where Jake is sort of like a UFO in Close Encounters of the Third Kind, <laughs> where he, he drives away from Packard on his motorbike and all of a sudden he's just like the red light and some other points of light and he just drifts off into the sky. And it's just the way that they go seamlessly from live action footage mm. to rotoscoped animation. It's beautiful. I really liked it. I kind of laughed at that a little bit because it, suddenly, Did you? Because it <laughs> oh, became no. very fantasy all of a sudden, like almost Disney because the lights separate as well. It's like, they do. what is going on? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's, he's, he's separating into like his separate muses. One of them's Olivia Newton-John on roller skates. Oh, of course. <laughs> <laughs> favorite sound effect. My favorite sound effect is from the shaky cam POV shot as he's coming up to the garage that he explodes violently. Oh, yes. And uh, it's because the metal braces that he's wearing are sort of making like spur noises. Oh, like he's, right. Yeah, he is yeah. high plane drifter, oh, high plane stick course. shifter, I wrote down. Yes. <laughs> the Western. So yeah, that yes. was my favorite ah. Western touch. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> uh, my favorite sound effect was well, not my favorite, but it was kind of, I didn't know where it was coming from for a long time. So there would always be shots uh, with with the gang and and either Packard being very angry or or, the, or scenes with with the wraith coming and shoot up their shop. But you would always hear this whimpering sound. And I had no idea what character that was coming from. Just like in this, <laughs> just in the background, and I just had no idea. And I think it was Gutter Boy figured it out. It is, yeah. But it's just like, is. where is that sound coming from? <laughs> yeah. Most funniest moment. I've spoken about it already. It's the scene in the hot spring where they have a flashback of a murder and then when you cut back to the, <laughs> yeah. the lovers in the spring, Charlie Sheen says, I love you. <laughs> so, what? <laughs> Why? I genuinely laughed very, very loud because right, I just right, could not right. believe A, where this was coming from and B, that it came after a brutal knifing scene. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Uh, funny scene for me. Uh, there's one scene where the wraith car drives away and I think uh, the sheriff is following and it kind of disappears into a big flash of light and then fireworks yeah like just unexplained fireworks just start <laughs> happening in the distance like, yeah. okay <laughs> it's magic so strange yeah <laughs> and that's our mooblies hi i'm sandy king carpenter producer of movies like they live prince of darkness in the mouth of madness and you're listening to movie oubliette Oh, we've reached final verdict time should 1986's The Wraith drive free from the oubliette to be worshipped by all, or should it be explosively slammed into the Highway Pirates workshop, taking <laughs> Gutterboy and Skank with it, and plummet into Aww. the darkest depths of the oubliette never to be seen again? Conrad, Ooh. your brother's favourite childhood movie. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what's your verdict for this film? I, this is a weird one again because 
I mean, there are so many flaws in this movie. It really doesn't make a great deal of sense. There are a lot of things that undermine it in terms of uh, execution with the resources that they had. But sometimes there's some really great elements. It's got some great characters. They're not the main characters. They're all the side characters who appear to have more screen time. Yeah. Um, the look of the film is is sort of inconsistent sometimes it's great sometimes it's not the acting's sometimes great but sometimes it's pretty cringeworthy mm. there's a, it's just chock full of 80s cheese on the soundtrack but i kind of don't hate it i don't know it's peculiar it's just sort of this oddity that's emotionally unengaging the action's not particularly exciting but i don't hate it at the end of it i'm, I'm sort of quite entertained by it and it's it just feels like such a particular thing of the 80s that could mm. only have been made then and 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 feels like a bit of a time capsule so i don't know it's a toss-up for me mm. I, I can't see myself recommending it to a great deal of people but i don't i don't hate it so i i might just let it slip out i don't know oh okay <laughs> uh i don't know i i feel for me this movie i am definitely not the target audience I no. don't like cars. Uh, <laughs> Me neither. <laughs> um, it, it definitely feels very dated to me uh, in terms of it's very 80s. Um, yeah. Yeah, a lot of wooden acting. I don't know. I don't think there was enough connective tissue for me and a lot of unexplained things keep happening. Uh, not enough backstory <laughs> for the characters. Uh, I mean, it's not a terrible movie. And there are some really, really impressive sort of set pieces. But for the most part, I don't know. I don't think it really worked even as a car movie. Like I didn't find mm. the the races that interesting because they ended the same way every time. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like, I don't Although know. I did think the final one where he, he turns around, he comes around the bend and rather than just the car across the road like the previous two times, yeah, it's the wraith go. standing in the middle of the road. Yeah. That's quite yeah. good. Yeah, I guess so. Because of the, the, the lack of backstory, I just couldn't, didn't really feel anything in the emotional no. final scenes. Like, it just didn't really mean a lot. I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, I, I think it's very much a product of its time. And if you like cars, 80s cars, yeah, this is mm. this perfect film for you. And and yeah. you, if you like boobs and and toxic <laughs> men, you know this is it. This is your <laughs> this is your film. But yeah, I don't know. Not for me. Um, no. But I can I could I could see a lot of teenage boys in the eighties really liking this film. It's a teenage boy's wet dream. It's a revenge fantasy. It's a, it's got a cool car, and Sherilyn Fenn gets her breasts out. I mean. Yeah, it's lauded for that alone. I'm not sure that that's necessarily commendable, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, for it's me, it's a no from you. It's a no. Put it back in the UV. It. So, oh, deciding so, vote. The deciding vote yet again goes to our mid and top tier patrons <laughs> who have the opportunity to vote. And uh, let me just uh, tot up the results from the machinery here. Get that print out. Okay. Ah, oh, lovely. And their result is impound his car and throw it back. Oh, oh, with me. Interesting. Yes. 
There you go. Oh, I thought there was going to be a lot of nostalgia uh, latched onto this movie, but apparently it, not. It appears. No, it appears not. Eddie Coulter says, I remember really enjoying The Wraith back in the day. However, not so much on my revisit. There's still stuff I like in it, such as the car and the action. But whenever The Wraith isn't on screen, the movie moves at a snail's pace. Mm, yeah, I mean, it did feel like two different movies. With the Wraith, mm. it was sci-fi fantasy. With Jake, it was just this weird romance thing. Yeah. With, with some guy just watching them kiss. <laughs> with a switchblade. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. But there were some people voting for it to, oh, yes. to be released. Uh, so one of them was Chazilla, who said, Charlie Sheen, Revenge, Fast Cars, Fast Women, Great Tunes, and Randy Quaid's corny dialogue. What's not to love? <laughs> Put the pedal to the metal and let the wraith roar out of the oubliette. So he, he was voting for, okay, but yeah, I'm yeah. afraid he, he did not win. <laughs> mm. So, yeah, I'm afraid I'm just going to have to throw this in the boot of this car and uh, push it over the cliff. Oh, Oh, well. I'm glad glad two for two. The patrons are with me. Yes, the patrons have spoken. So, sorry, Gary. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry, Gary. You You got what you wanted, but not quite what you wanted. No. Perhaps not, but at least we watched the movie, which was fun. I did enjoy it. Yes, yes, yes. So, Conrad, what is in the oubliette for our next episode? So, for our next episode, we're going down under, Dan. Haven't uh-huh. done that for a while, which is exciting. And we'll also be in the 2000s, specifically in the 2003 Australian zombie science fiction comedy horror film... Undead. Ah, yes. I've been wanting to watch this for a while. And the mm. uh, the brother-director duo have um, gone on to quite successful things. Yes, yeah, so the Spearig brothers, who are probably better known for Daybreakers, Predestination, and Jigsaw. Mm. Yeah. Love their work. So I will be very interested to see their first feature-length film. Yes, yes. And we are obviously a big supporter of uh, Aussie cinema. I think this is going to be our fourth Aussie film that we've ah. ever done on the podcast after Razorback, okay. Decom, and Triangle. So looking forward ah, to this. Ah, yes. Yeah, should be fun. So if you want to get in on the act and vote on the final verdict for that one, head on over to Patreon, where for as little as a dollar, you can get access to exclusive extended portions of the show. For $5, you can vote on the final verdict and get in on our exclusive monthly minisodes. And for $10, you can be an executive producer like our very special supporters, Chazilla, Eddie Coulter and Isaac Sutton. And to keep up with our future episodes, uh, look us up on all social platforms or you could email us at movie.oubliet at gmail.com. Yes, and head on over to YouTube to see some of our video essays. We have a channel over there. And we also have lots of merchandise and tat with our name on Uh it at Redbubble. (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. So, listeners, uh, stay tuned for next episode. We'll see you then. Yes. For Undead. I'm just going to drive off in my concept car. Bye, everyone. (laughs) Goodbye. We review the films others tend to forget. Come with us and don't know the movie you'll be at.
yet. When you two crater heads get finished mining for nose gold and have a relapse of memory, you let me know, huh? <laughs>